lady yet? Only in Hollywood would a babe like Harlow wait at the altar for a fellow with a face like a loaf of bread. Spencer Tracy's too plain? You're crazy. That's right. He doesn't have an ounce of glamour. He manhandles women too much. Every picture, he's a bully. I'd like to see any mug try that with Harlow when there isn't a camera rolling. You know, isn't it strange... Jean plays a woman who longs for wedding bells, and it's the same thing in real life. Her co-star boyfriend, William Powell, gives her the runaround. It always comes down to a wedding announcement for peaches. You're on the right desk, sister. (laughs) It makes you wonder, if a big star like Jean Harlow can't get the man she loves to walk through a shower of rice, what chance does a regular girl have? Forget the will they or won't they. I couldn't take my eyes off Dolly Tree's designs. Planning a column, Faye? Let me guess, the all-white get-up Myrna Loy wore on the ocean liner. That's the one. Nothing says keep off the grass like a snow-white ensemble and a big pair of dark shades. But is it practical? I mean, where would you wear it? Why, to be perfect for the races. Best dressed at Santa Anita. Who cares about practical? Live dangerously. I'd wear white to eat clams marinara. Listen up. Finally, a lead you can hang your hat on. Somewhere in this city is a 12-year-old boy with a gallon of deadly poison in his possession. And he doesn't know it. A lot of tripe crosses my desk. Occasionally, a gem appears. Hickey, I salute you. Thanks, Grady. Glad you liked it. What type of poison? Silver nitrate from a photo invader's shop on Hollywood Boulevard. Boy was out collecting bottles. Tell Brewster to run over and get a shot of one of those jugs. We'll we'll run it with the story. Will do. How did you like my report on the Warren Hartbam suit? What's the story? Miss Warren claims that for five years Robert Morris promised to divorce his wife and marry her. And? So? The wife got hit by a bus. Morris collected. Then he dropped his promise of engagement. What's his line? He's a lawyer. Is he crooked? Uh, I don't know. Well, find out, you lunkhead. Who's the villain? Find an angle. Is it the gold digger or the Casanova? Uh, I didn't think about that. You're down, but you're not out, Dutch. Remember what the prize fighter Gentleman Jim Corbett said. A champion always gets off the floor. Thanks, Chief. It won't happen again. Just out of curiosity, Grady, have you ever applauded a woman in this office? Certainly. As recently as last week, uh, when Trixie bought me a perfect cup of coffee and a crawler on the side, I gave her a standing ovation. I'm talking about the important work women do around here. Coffee and donuts grease the wheels of this newsroom. How dare you impugn Trixie's contribution? Trixie's work doesn't fill the pages. What about my latest column, with a letter from a mother who couldn't afford to take her baby to the doctor? I read your copy, Miss Reardon. It's adequate. Adequate. How many times have I told you? I don't want any gilded prose. Strike it out. Strike out what? The truth about poverty and the human condition? It's a newspaper column. It's not Edgar Allan Poe. You have a heart the size and color of a peppercorn. You know that? Lugubrious. 
Do I look like a chump? Just write gloomy and be done with it. Save the filigree sentences for that novel that you're no doubt writing that no one will ever read. A baby died. Gloomy isn't strong enough to describe the mood. Poverty isn't news, Ms. Reardon. Not lurid enough for you? Maybe I should have sexed it up a bit. I should have waited until the baby grew up and wrote a racy diary before she jumped out a window. That's your idea of front-page news. You're right about one thing. I don't consider your column news. The public needs the facts, not advice. You only think in bold type. The problem page is for rubberneckers. Sets a a morbid tone at the breakfast table. If you ask me, the whole sob sister racket is in poor taste. Doesn't belong in the daily news. I'll tell you what's in poor taste. That shirt you're wearing. What's that, Miss Bishop? If you're on a crusade against bad style, you might start with your shirts. There's nothing wrong with my shirts. Nothing a bonfire wouldn't cure. Black shirts? You look like a gangster down on his luck. Oh yeah? You try keeping a white shirt clean when you're up to your elbows in newsprint all day. Dutch, you throw every dollar you earn at the tailor. My shirts are fine, right? Well, there. I mean, sure, boss. Uh, They're, you know, what they call utilitarian. Precisely. See, Dutch gets it. (laughs) That's not a compliment, Grady. Why, you... Just get back to work. Don't you have some lily-dosh hats to write something about, Miss Bishop? And you, Miss Carmichael, don't you owe me a column on that fancy-schmancy charity ball at the Ambassador? Almost done, sir. Thanks for getting him off my back. I've been waiting for an excuse to knock his wardrobe. Dot, I wanted to stick up for you, but I was too scared. Grady probably hates my column more than he hates yours. No, I doubt it, honey. Every paper needs a society column. The sponsors like to think they're newsworthy. Yeah, but not every family in the social register buys advertising. No, you know what I mean. He's not going to axe coverage of the caviar set. Guess I'm on a rewrite. Wasting my time out here. Careful, that cupboard might land on your head. The plaster in this joint is thinner than page one. You're right. You're agreeing with me? Tell me, Faye, why am I wasting my time out here covering stories any cub reporter could handle? And there's big news happening in Reading, Pennsylvania. That strike at the hosiery mill? Grady won't pay expenses for a trip across country. Last him. You know, I came out here expecting to cover real news. But mostly what I write is glorified publicity for the film colony. And I bet Hollywood won't exist in another 20 years. No, you're mixed up. You're looking at the wrong side of the glass. The hell I am. If you believe things would be better at paper back east, think again. You'd be up to your neck in competition, getting scooped on every story. You'd be living on aspirin and bromides. It's a wonder you don't already have a hole in your stomach from that hot sauce you put on everything. A mild irritant is good for the system. Are you talking about Grady or the hot pepper sauce? On the level, Faye. You think it's better out here than on a paper in New York? You bet I do. I don't have a seven sisters pedigree, and without that, you're nothing but a little chancer in Manhattan. If I'd stayed there, I'd be a secretary for some lush columnist who would cop a feel whenever he got tight. Out here, I'm a respected fashion critic. I earn a good living. I call the shots. 
that's fine for you. But I don't want to wake up with regrets in 10 years and say, where did I go wrong? If you were still in New York, you'd curse the snow and dream about the California sunshine. Say, why are you being so nice to me? Because you're the only man in this office who ever makes a pot of coffee. That's why. Now pour me some, will you, Leo? Cut the deck. Leo. Just the two of us? I don't need any help taking your money. I'll take two. And two for me. I'll bet two bits. Listen to Miss Vanderbilt over here. I'll raise you. How's the new picture coming? Oh, it's coming along. That last one was something else. What was it called? Love in the Sky. How'd you get the aerial shots? I didn't. It was rare projection. That's what the boys in the studios use. Huh, that's a neat trick. And the plane, how'd you get that? A friend let me use it. I'm doing this new one like a newsreel. Clever. Can't get stale. Some of them show up just for my flickers. What's this one about? The Mayfair Ball. You mean that fundraiser the picture crowd held back in January? Yeah. Didn't figure on the budget, though. The wardrobe is costing me a fortune. Isn't the whole point to save on wardrobe? It's part of the story. Can't risk doing it on the cheap. Tatty fabric looks like the dog's dinner on camera. What's the gag? Carol Lombard was the event hostess. She had a theme, white gowns. Norma Shearer showed up wearing red. In my picture, the gal who plays Carol Lombard goes bananas and rips the dress off the girl who plays Norma. (laughs) And then? Take a guess. And that'll be nothing compared to the one that follows. What have you got planned? A spoof of that picture, San Francisco. Except in my version, when the earthquake hits, it shakes their clothes off. How will you manage that? I've got it figured. I'm taking one of the reducing machines, on approval. You know, those contraptions that use a rubber belt to move the muscles? I can use it for close-ups. I'll pin the clothes on loosely, and the machine shakes them off. I'll splice shots together for a montage. It'll knock their eye out. Jeez, Bijou, I imagine those directors and producers, they gotta get sore at your spoofing. Men have no sense of humor. If anything, they're jealous they can do it themselves. Studio boys get sick of the blue pencil from the brain office, you know. I don't care what anybody says, Bijou, you are an artist through and through. You're damned right. Now, what's your bet? I see your two bits and raise you another. At this rate, I'll have to play you a solid month just to win enough for another gown. Do me a favor. Don't film a parody about where I work. We don't need to give the boys any ideas. Is Grady still giving you a hard time? He never gave me an easy time. You can handle him. Keep giving him the cold shoulder. Oh, I'm a regular Miss Siberia. Hey you, want some company? Take a load off. Why are you out so late on a Monday night? Women's press club dinner. What do you have? BLT and coffee, please. Thought you already had dinner. (laughs) Three courses. Champagne, gin, and scotch. You should come to the meetings, Dot. A lot of fun. 
Looks like it. You're half crocked. Oh, don't water it down. I'm fully crocked. Why don't you just join the women's press club? I have enough trouble being taken seriously as a reporter. It's not like we're darning socks and swapping recipes, you know. I went to an all-girls school, Faye. I've paid my sorority dues. It's that kind of attitude that holds us back. I like to pick my own friends. I don't assume I'll find one just because we both wear skirts. All right, tough guy. Have it your way. Hey, girls. Mind if I sit? What have y'all been up to? Faye just ordered a new inner tube, and I've got an awful sweet tooth. What do you have? Meatloaf and mashed potatoes, please. I'd have to ask where you've been. What do you mean? You were on a date. Why do you say that? You don't eat on a date? Isn't the main reason for going out with the fella? Hope you're not wasting food when you play the I'm not hungry routine. I don't waste food. I eat a small salad. How come? You don't like to eat before you fool around, is that it? That must be in the finishing school curriculum. Like that old rule about not going for a swim after you eat. No petting on a full stomach. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you two don't care if you wind up old maids, but I want to get married someday. Peaches, we're living in 1936, not 1836. We don't need a man to keep a roof over our heads. A home is more than a roof and four walls. What about company? Don't you want to come home at night, have him stroke your hair, and whisper, honey, it'll all be okay? Marriage is a mug's racket, if you ask me. If you do get the hair stroking, he'll still turn around and betray you. But say, before you register for grapefruit spoons, are you ready to pretend you don't have an appetite forever? Listen, what I eat is my business. Now stop being nosy or I'm going to move to another booth. What are y'all looking at anyway? The waitress. Talk about nosy. Good grief. Don't stare at the poor woman. I'm not staring. I think I've seen her before. I don't know about the rest of her, but I've seen that nose before. (laughs) Peaches, you cat. (laughs) I wasn't trying to be catty. Keep it down, will you? I don't want to make her feel bad. Bet she hears plenty of wisecracks. Who, Mr. Ranty over there? (laughs) Take a bite of that sandwich, huh? Soak up the hooch. Didn't know you were a mean drunk, Faye. Oh, come on. It's just a joke. I'll leave a big tip. Where have you seen her before? Yeah, it might have been a Bijou's place. Hmm, that's a funny name. Does she own a theater or something? In a manner of speaking, Bijou runs a body house, and she makes stag reels for the Johns. How'd she get into that racket? How does any woman get into that racket? Some man. And you're friends with this person? This person? Remember, some rise by sin and some by virtue fall. That from the Bible? Shakespeare. Ugh, you sound like Grady with those quotes. I do not sound like Grady. Mm, you kind of do sound like him. Is Grady the only one in the newsroom who's ever read a book? You know, I've been to college. Take it easy. We're only needling you. Well, can I eat my pie without needles, please? Peaches, what was that you said about seeing her nose before? You know... She reminds me of Peggy Guggenheim. The heiress? The waitress has a nose like Peggy Guggenheim? Yeah. They both have a nose like a boiled potato. 
I've heard people say that Peggy collects art and surrounds herself with beautiful things just to distract men from looking at her nose. Who cares about a nose when you have millions? Rumor has it that Peggy had an operation, you know, to make it smaller. (laughs) Well, she threw that money away. Well, obviously the surgery wasn't a success. I'd see a doctor about my nose if I had her money. Don't be silly. You got a handsome nose. Everybody hates their nose. They do? Sure. Everybody hates their nose. That's not true. Of course it is. It's easy to dislike a nose. Too big, too small, too crooked. Nostrils can go wrong half a dozen ways. The perfect nose doesn't exist. See, now that's where you're wrong. Prove it. You better take another bite of that sandwich. I'm eating it. You want the perfect nose? Myrna Loy. You bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, you. I had a lovely time last night. Hey, you peaches. Gee, you look pretty. Uh, You're not sore. Why would I be sore? I thought you might think I took advantage. Call me a heel. Honey, you didn't twist my arm. I'm not a cloistered maiden, you know. This is 1936, after all. I didn't know you kept a scorecard. Uh, I, I don't. But for your information, nice girls like to fool around, too. Oh, you're giving out lessons, are you? You sound like one of those hard-boiled dames with notches on their headboard. You know, I thought we had a nice time last night, Dutch. But the more you talk... The more you sound like one of them lowbrow types. Now you're insulting me? I'm a lowbrow type? Jeez, the nerve of this dame. Well, sister, maybe you're just another floozy with round heels. How many fellas in this office have you been with anyway? Dutch Brennan, you take that back. Why do men always turn nasty as soon as they get what they want? You're acting like I came in there looking for a marriage proposal and you can't get away fast enough. Well... Let me spare you the big speech about what nice girls shouldn't do and how men need to sow their wild oats. Last night was a mistake and it'll never happen again. Now blow. You take your fancy suit, your cheap opinions, and blow. Looks like I got some of your mail, Dot. Here's a letter for you. Add it to the pile, will you? Shouldn't you open it? Could be important. Dear Dot, I'm a fellow in need of your help. My housing situation is dire. Each morning I wake up in a tent. Now see, this is what I'm talking about. Things have gone from bad to worse for so many Americans. This poor soul needs help. And what are the politicians doing about it? Playing golf and smoking cigars. How terrible. What else does it say? Each morning, my sheet becomes a tent, because I've been dreaming of you. Help me, Dot. Ha <laughs> ha! Oh, go wash your neck. It's time you handled some serious problems that plague the American man. You are a plague masquerading as the American man. Now beat it, or I'll ring your bookie and tell him where to find you. And I'll throw your new coat out the window. That's the problem with women in the newsroom. They can't take a joke. 
I'll pick your knuckles off the floor and breeze. You're a regular Will Rogers, you know that, Dutch. You better find a new tailor. That collar you're wearing is too tight. It's cutting off the oxygen to your brain. <laughs> Women have no sense of humor. Dutch, get over here. Now you're cooked. Uh, did I do something wrong, Chief? On the contrary. Circulation is up, partially due to your series on the Warren case. Keep it up. I'd say this story is worth at least six more columns. Thanks, Grady. Instead of annoying Miss Reardon, why don't you try to get an interview with the Warren dame and see if you can find a picture of her with that lawyer? I've been trying, but she hasn't exactly been friendly to the press after we called her a gold digger. You mean after you called her a gold digger? What? But, but I wrote that because you said the story needed an angle. Well, it does. It's the basic formula. Who does the public root for? A formula, my eye. It's a woman's reputation you're attacking. Oh, here we go. Somebody's saddling the high horse. If you only realized, it's not just a story. Real lives are at stake. What's it like to go to work each day when you've been labeled a gold digger in print? If you only realize this is the kind of story that sells papers, the public eats it with a spoon. A breach of promise suit has something for everybody. Men like to read about it because then they feel vindicated. They have proof in black and white that every woman has a cash register where her heart should be. Says the man who has a printing press where his heart should be. And dames read the heart bomb stories because they bring hope. If they can just find one rich sucker, they can quit the counter and retire on Easy Street. It never ceases to amaze me how men get so far in life with such simple minds. If you examine the law books, you'll see that heart bomb suits include four categories. Cases of seduction, criminal conversation, alienation of affection, and breach of promise to marry. It's far more complicated than women looking to squeeze which men. Men file heart bomb suits too. After 16 years in this business, I, I know what sells papers. And furthermore, the tide is turning. We have to milk it while we can. What do you mean the tide is turning? Ever since that dizzy broad put the finger on Rudy Valley two years ago for a quarter of a million, the days have been numbered on the heart bomb racket. That means goodbye to a surefire circulation boost. You really think so? The woman you're referring to in that case wasn't greedy. She was sick. I remember it well. Frances Singer was so lonely, she thought Rudy Valley sent secret messages to her in his song lyrics. In her troubled mind, they had a relationship. Miss Singer needed help, not public censure and a mob with pitchforks. Miss Reardon, you could find an angle on a balloon. She wasn't the only one that sued him. Rudy Valley had been served with breach of promise papers before. He's nothing but a two-bit Romeo. Promises marriage just to get his jollies. Ah, oh, you're way off base. Rich men are sitting ducks for any dame when the rent comes due. Sure. A dame shows up in court in ribbons and bows, bats her eyelashes, the innocent routine, and a jury finds in her favor she hits the jackpot. Men like Rudy Valley and Robert Morris cheapen love, not women who fall for a cheap line. Oh yeah? Women sure are quick to put a price tag on love in front of a judge. Money is the only language men understand. 
Best way to hit him is in their bank book. Chief, I, I don't get it. How did the singer dame ruin the love bam racket? The legislatures are calling it extortion. Indiana repealed breach of promise suits last year. They were the first state to do it. New York State did the same thing a few months ago in May, didn't they? Made them null and void in the courts. You wait. California won't be far behind. Don't blame Moomin for what happened in Indiana and New York. Rich men protected the wallets of other rich men. See, that's where you're wrong, Miss Bishop. Men wrote the and passed the legislation, sure, but women were behind it. I get it. Another carry nation type of reform. That's right, Dutch. A bunch of pinch face reformers causing trouble. Ever since the drink, God bless us, became legal again, women have sought another campaign to ruin the fun. You're simplifying things as usual. You know I'm right. Or else you two would be firing insults at me. In every state of the nation, women are making noise against heart bomb suits. They call their own sisters parasites, chiselers, and gold diggers. Those women are a loud minority. I'll bet none of them earn their own living. They're married to the fat cats, protecting their own. Or else they're misguided. Those women think if we're perfect, men will act civilized. But that never works. Men only get worse, and women just develop nervous conditions. You're giving me a nervous condition, Miss Reardon. The other thing is newspapers exaggerate the settlements women get from heart bomb suits. Lawyers bargain down, or the judge throws the case out of court. Very few women collect a lot of dough on a heart bomb suit. Why should men shell out for a love tilt? Those dames act like they didn't enjoy the ride. They take advantage while men foot the bill. And men don't take advantage? If men feel hard done by, it makes the front page. Yet I read a hundred letters a week from women hard done by. Our caveman editor says it's too morbid to print them. Hey, personal attacks are very unbecoming, Miss Reardon. Go soak your head, Grady. Get him, Tiger. You don't know what it's like, day after day, to read letters from women at the end of their rope. They can't get through a day without being worried by a lowdown wolf. It makes me so mad I could scream. Oh, brother, here we go. Hey, pipe down, you. If you don't mind, I'll take a seat for the duration, do you? I can feel my arteries hardening. Oh, I'm glad you find this amusing, Grady. Sadly, I can't. I'm too angry. I have stacks of letters from women who can't just go to work and do their job. They must fend off wolves. Men paw at them in the filing room. Bosses demand sex as terms of employment. Women write to me after the boss fired them for having a baby. I hear from women who do all the work for half the wages. I could stuff a mattress with the number of letters I received from wives whose husbands went out to get a pack of cigarettes and never returned. They ask me how to feed the kids. And me. To my never-ending frustration, when I think I might be able to give them a fair shake and print their story and offer some helpful advice, you tell me it's too bleak. No good with pancakes and coffee. Miss Reardon, if I let you print every letter you wanted and answer it the way you wanted, this paper would fold. Aren't you exaggerating? You say you care about the truth, but you don't. You censor what life is really like for women. Aren't you being a little simplistic now? 
Didn't I keep the dame who was murdered in Pismo Beach on the front page until they found her killer? Sh- sure. Dead women get special attention. What about the women with the pulse? We might be able to help them before the worst happens. I cannot print your advice to dump a bucket of cold water on a handsy boss. Why not? It be anarchy. Huh, says the man in the black shirt. Or the other time, when you told an office girl to paint sores on herself down there so the boss wouldn't force her to do anything. Ew. Sounds like good advice to me. Thank you, Faye. Why, if I printed something like that, the public outrage would be deafening, and the Daily News would be out of business. I never figured you for a coward, Grady. Miss Bishop, you take that back. No, it's worse than that, Faye. Grady isn't a coward? Oh, he is a coward, but he's also deeply uncomfortable with the shift. The shift? In the way things work, he doesn't like to face the fact that women might have a say in things. See, Grady believes women are dolls. Dolls that belong in one of three places. As many as three, huh? Yeah, three. Women belong in a kitchen, a gin palace, or a rocking chair. He expects me to answer their cries for help with toothless pap. Talk with the clergy. Get help from the family. Stick it out with the louse. Hope for better days. Oh, women should just cut and run? Ignore their vows? Why not? Men do it all the time. All right, Miss Reardon. Suppose we have a little wager on it. A bet? I'll take some of that action. For one month, you write your column your way. I won't make any changes, save the odd grammatical correction. You're going to let me give honest advice, without interference. Correct. How about it, Miss Reardon? Well, what are we betting? You don't pay me much as it is. Oh, I don't want your money. If you win, you get to keep writing the column your way. And I'll even give you a raise. (laughs) And what happens if you win? If circulation plummets and advertisers bail... You hand in your resignation, and you quit the newspaper. We have a deal? Oh, sure. I take all the risk. It'll be my neck on the chopping block, too. I've got a saw book on Grady. You in, Faye? I'm game. A ten spot on Dot. All right, Grady. Let's shake on it. Myrna Loy's Nose is a Sassmouth Dames production, written and directed by Megan McGurk, starring Clara Higgins as Dot Reardon, Olympia Kiriakou as Faye Bishop, M. Sean as Peaches Carmichael, Savannah Monroe as Bijou Silk, Patrick McGurk as Jim Grady, Peter Bryant as Leo Hickey, Shane McCormick as Dutch Brennan, Art design by Mock Collins, sound editing, and special effects by Tom O'Mahony. Thanks very much for listening.